Bibles this morning open to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And in this passage we're going to read this morning, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Now he's sending disciples to the other side. They obeyed, but they ran into a storm along the way. And the disciples were in fear in the storm. You know, you and I need to take steps of faith, realizing that Jesus is going to be faithful to what he has said he's going to do. Now, we've been studying different people in Scripture and looking at choices they've made. But in this passage this morning, we're going to look at a choice made by one disciple that changed. He got to do something that no man has ever done. Think about that. All because, as you see the title, it's time to get out of the boat. Who's the only one that got out of the boat? Peter. We pick on Peter a lot because Peter loved to taste the shoe leather. He always had his foot in his mouth, didn't he? Peter would speak before thinking. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure many of us know exactly what that feels like, right? Mouth has been engaged before brain and words came out that we wish we could take back. That was Peter. We pick on Peter many times, but when the, tr when the truth is, though, at moments like this, I stand amazed at the faith of Peter. Because all the disciples were on that same boat, right? All those disciples had just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. All those same disciples see Jesus walking on the water, and all those disciples hear Peter say, Lord, if it's thou, call me unto you, and Jesus says, come. They see Peter crawling out of the boat. Let me ask a question. Why was he the only one? Well, you know, our nature has not changed. I could imagine the other disciples sitting there and talking. Oh, they're going to show off Peter. There goes Peter doing something dumb again. There's Peter, show off. Peter, why can't you just be like everybody else? Peter, why do you always have to do something different than everybody else? Peter, why do you always have to speak your mind? Peter, why do you blah, 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 blah? The same things we hear today. When you take a stand, everybody criticizes you for taking a stand. But you know, Peter got to do something that no mere mortal man has ever done. Because Jesus is God, he's the only other one who's ever walked on water. Think of that. Why? Because Peter was willing to be different. And Christian, this time you and I say, it's okay to be different than everybody else. It's okay to take a stand when nobody else will. It's okay to get out of the boat in the middle of the storm because Jesus is the one out there. You should be in Matthew 14. Let's go ahead and stand, please, and honor the reading of God's word. We'll start in verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him on the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went into a mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. And the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto the end of water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said, O thou of little faith, 
Wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they're gone over, they came into the land of the Gardenzeret, uh, I can speak. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased. And besought him that he might only touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Father, I pray you bless this message this morning and teach us, Lord, to be willing to have the faith that Peter had, to be able to get out of the boat, but trusting that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the storm. Lord, teach us to make those decisions, the choices in life that may not make sense to everybody else, but they're choices that will change us, that will build our faith, that will help us to grow closer to you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Jesus is done feeding the 5,000. In verse 22, in straightway, the word straightway has the idea of immediately. You know, what God tells us to do, there should be an urgency to it, should there not? I don't ever want to run ahead of God, but I don't want to ever lag behind. And when there's something to be done, there should be an urgency to get it done. But Jesus takes his disciples... And he sends them away. It says he constrained his disciples to get into a ship. The idea constrained to compel them. He wanted to guide them. He told them, it's time for you to get in this ship. Now, Jesus is God, right? He has the right to tell us what to do. And so he tells his disciples, get into the ship, go on the other side, and I'll meet you there. Look again. Jesus constrained the disciples getting in the ship to go before him, that is, in time, unto the other side, and he sent the multitude away. He says, go to the other side, and I'll meet you there. What should that tell the disciples? They're going to make it to the other side. There's no need to fear. But he gives them instructions and tries to uh, show them in the direction they should go. You know, many of you as parents would guide your children and try to get them motivated to do the right thing, right? Now, if you're not a morning person, it probably was hard to get your children motivated in the morning, right? To get up and get ready for school. We homeschooled, so we had to get up, get ourselves ready, get the kids ready and everything else. Sometimes getting the kids up in the morning takes a little bit of compelling, does it not? Sometimes for adults, it takes a little bit of compelling, but moving on. But even though Jesus sent them ahead of him, he has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is always near? You know, when the storm came, Jesus was there. He walked to him. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But then what does Jesus do? He's now sent his disciples in the ship. He says, you cross over. He sends the multitudes away. And look at verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up in the mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. Now, if we find many times in the scripture, the Son of God taking time alone to pray, how much more important is it, Christian, for you and I to make time to pray? As I said in the early morning service, way too often we have the wrong priorities. I don't have time to pray. No, the idea should be, I have too much to do today that I can't do anything else but spend some time in prayer first. As a matter of fact, instead of Luther, he said, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first two hours in prayer. 
But we make excuses why we can't do the things we, ought, we know we ought to do. Well, I don't have time to study my Bible. I don't know how to study my Bible. I don't have enough to give. I don't have this. I, don't do, I can't do that. Listen, folks, we need to trust God and f- do what he has commanded us to do. And he has promised he will never leave us nor forsake us. That He has promised that he will meet our needs. We have the responsibility of being obedient. And when we are not investing time in prayer, when we're not investing time in the word, when we're not giving to our local church, when we're not sharing the gospel with others, we are disobeying God, period. So let's put aside the excuses and let's follow what God has commanded us to do. But there should be a time in your life, a time in your daily routine where you get alone to pray. We often call it a prayer closet, a place where you're alone. Jesus would go to the mountains to pray. They're a little far to drive to go every day, but that would be a great place to go to pray. But I want you to also look at this in verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night. Now, the fourth watch was an early morning, probably somewhere between 3 to 6 a.m. Now, I don't know how many of you, I'm sure many of you who served in the military, had to stand the early morning watch or the late night watches and all those things. You know, the army did something weird when I was at Fort Myer. They stood 24-hour watches. That was weird. Not the four-hour watches of the Navy, but anyhow. But then what was really weird is about 11 o'clock at night, they all went to bed. I'm like, no, you can't go to sleep. You're on watch. Oh, we're army. All right, fine. They said, we can go to bed too. I'm like, no, Navy doesn't sleep on watch. We got something against that. Anyhow, The point being, it was late at night by the time he comes to the disciples. Jesus spent much time in prayer. You know, late evenings, early mornings are great time to pray. You know why? Nobody else is up yet. And it's quiet. And the phone's not ringing. And all the things that distract us from our time with God are not there. Now let me ask a question. Did Jesus know where the disciples were? Did he know they were in a storm. Did he care that they were in a storm? But what was still more important at that time? Him praying. You see, it doesn't matter where you and I are in life. We are to pray without ceasing. It doesn't matter whether we're in a storm, we're coming out of a storm, or whatever, but it is important you and I invest time praying. So we see Jesus' priorities He spent time in prayer. Verse 24 again, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed to the waves, and the wind was contrary. Now, some of these guys, Peter, James, John especially, are fishermen. And, you know, there's many times the storms have come and we see them afraid. Now this time it doesn't necessarily say that they're afraid of the storm per se, but I'm sure any fisherman out there in a storm is got a little bit of fear because, you know, you get the right, hit the wave wrong and it's going to swamp your boat and you're going under. And so there's a lot of caution, a lot of, a lot of um, detail to attention to pay while you're doing these things. But as I already mentioned, Jesus knew that they were in the storm. You know, it's been said of the Christian life, you're either going into a storm, you are in a storm, or you're coming out of a storm in life. And it does seem like there are many trials in life. And once you pass a test in life, God graduates you to the next test. You say, well, that seems unfair. No, it's not. If you understand that God is trying to grow our faith and draw us closer to him, the trials of life then can be a blessing 
as we looked at this morning, a opportunity, not a hindrance. But he sent them in the storm to test their faith. Has he not promised that the flame will not hurt us? As the song says, the flame will not hurt thee. I've only designed thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. We talked a little bit this morning also about the three Hebrew children, how that they refused to bow to the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made. Again, I could imagine the crowd. I can imagine the other Hebrews there. Come on, man. It's no big deal. God knows. You know, you don't have to mean it in your heart. Just do it and, 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 you know, just kneel down. You don't have to really mean it. God knows. But just go along, get along. Just play the game. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, no. Come on, guys. This is really ridiculous. The king said, if you don't do it, he's going to throw you in the fire. Just do it. Everybody else is. What a poor testimony you guys are. Standing there just defying the king like this. These are the things that I hear from other Christians today. The world has not changed. But you know what? These three young men said, no, it's wrong in the sight of God. We will not do it. And king, our God is able to deliver us from the fire. But if he chooses not to, we're still not going to bow before your idol. We need more people with backbone and that kind of decision-making to say, I don't care about the consequences. I'm going to follow God no matter what. And God honored them. And when they went into the fire, the only thing the fire did is took off the, the restraints that they had on them. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fire and he says, we threw three in there. There's four walking around loose. And the fourth has the appearance of the Son of God. They had the privilege of walking in the fire with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. But listen, you and I will never have that privilege if we're not willing to take the stand. But too often we want to be like, oh, come on. You know, you don't want to stand against... By the way, I've heard they claim somehow, miraculously, they already know, there's another big pandemic coming. And I read in a magazine that's out in the library called Baptist Voice that during the last pandemic, the CDC admitted that they were tracking us by our phones to know whether you were going to church or not. Well, let me ask a question. If it continues on this path, unless God sends a great revival in our nation, are you willing to leave your phone at home? Next time the big pandemic comes, we'll go meet anyhow. Just leave your phone at home so they can't track you by it. Let me tell you something. The world hasn't changed, folks, and it's time we take a stand. It's time we say, I will not bow to the idols of this world. But here the disciples are in this storm. The wind's howling, but, the, but Jesus Christ is near. It says the wind was contrary, it was hostile. But then we see verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. I don't know how many of you spend much time at the ocean, but it's not normal to walk on water. You got to be at least that smart to be a preacher. So here they are in the middle of this storm, and they look out and they see one walking to them on the water. It showed God's power over nature. As we discussed in Sunday school, God spoke these worlds into existence, God created the laws of nature. And so God is the only one that has the power to overrule the laws which he made. The laws of nature say you cannot stand on top of a liquid, especially water, because we're denser than water, so we tend to go in. 
Some of us more so than others. Some float better than others. The more muscle you have, the less you float, right? Something like that. Jesus was walking on top of the water. Now that alone is a great power, uh, demonstration of power, is it not? And it's not, as the liberals say, there were stepping stones in the, in the sea. How many have ever been out to the sea? How many stepping stones do you find in the big bodies of water? Not a lot. Thank you. No, Jesus was not stepping on the stepping stones. And when Peter came out of the boat, he was not walking on the stones as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus and fell off the stones when, no, that's ridiculous. They were walking on water. That should have given comfort when they saw Christ coming. Although initially, I guess, since they didn't recognize it as Christ, I could understand the fear because would you think it natural if you were on a boat out in the middle of the lake and you saw somebody walking to you on the water? Would you think that natural? No. All right. So before we get too critical of these disciples, it says, let's look at what the Bible tells us here in verse 27, 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. Hey, there's something out there walking on the water. That would create a little fear in most people. It says they were troubled or upset or frightened. But then Verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Good cheer has the idea, take courage, cheer up. Christians, we are not to be walking around with our chins dragging on the ground. Because God is near. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. As soon as they knew it was Jesus Christ, they should have been filled with good cheer. They should have been filled with joy. Because you see, you and I need not be troubled. But how many times throughout Scripture does God have to command us, be not afraid, be not afraid, be not afraid. You look at even when God is speaking to Joshua in Joshua 1, how many times he has to tell him, be of good courage, be not afraid. You know why? Because we tend to live by fear. And this whole world around us is being controlled by fear. People living so much in fear, fear of dying that they're afraid to live. It's ridiculous. And Christian, you and I have nothing, nothing, nothing to fear. Anytime I fear, I'm saying I don't trust God. When the trial comes and I fear, I'm not trusting God. When a hard time comes and I'm fearing. When the car breaks down and I fear because how am I going to pay for this? I'm not trusting God. When the price of groceries goes up, 11, 12 percent or whatever it is. And I wonder, how am I going to pay for this? I'm not trusting God because he's promised to provide for all my needs. You know what my responsibility is? Be obedient to what he's commanded me to do. And, it, you know, I hear people say things like, well, you don't understand. I can't afford to tithe. What you're saying is I can't afford to trust God. I can't afford to obey God. Therefore, I'm going to do it my way, which is in disobedience to God's word. Folks, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm preaching the truth. When you have a trial in life, a struggle, and you try doing it your way instead of God's way, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, anytime we try doing it our way instead of God's way, we're saying, God, I'm smarter than you. I got this figured out. I don't need you. I don't need to obey you. I don't need to follow you. I got it figured out. And that, my friend, is wrong. Let's move on. 
Jesus says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Now let's look at this choice of Peter. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Now, you know, I know some would say, well, here again, Peter, quick to open his mouth. Oh, Lord, if it's you, call me out there. Because Peter was very quick with the mouth. But Jesus just says one word, come. Well, now everybody's looking at Peter. What's going to do about it, you know? No, I don't believe that really is the case. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me unto you. Jesus says, come. I can imagine him jetting right to the gunwale of that boat and hopping over, jumping down. And instead of sinking in, guess what he finds? He's standing on water. Peter, like, wait a minute. There's the boat. There's the water. There's Jesus. And he starts walking toward Jesus. But notice something. When Jesus was coming to them, he didn't calm the storm right away. So verse 29, and he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Peter chose walking on water over waiting in fear and wondering what it would be like. Now many pick on Peter because of the next part that tells us he took his eyes off Jesus and started sinking. Let me ask a question. I'll ask it again as I asked earlier. How many people have walked on water? Before we start busting on Peter, would have you gotten out of the boat? Or would you have been like James and Bartholomew and Matthew and the rest of them sitting in the boat watching Peter get out of the boat? I'll tell you what, I don't understand why every one of them didn't say, well, I'm getting out. I'm hopping out of here too. I'm going to go walk on water. Where was their faith? That's Jesus standing there. He said, come. Why didn't every single one of them abandon ship and get out there and start walking on water? You know why? Because it didn't make sense. They were thinking with their humanistic thinking instead of with faith. This says, if Jesus called me out to walk on water, and there's Peter, of all of us, there's Peter walking on water, I think I can do that too. Not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus is. Where is our faith in Jesus? And I ask us the same thing today. Where is our faith in Christ? Peter had enough faith to step out of that boat and start walking toward Jesus. That's pretty amazing. Now, I would have loved to be able to have that experience. But we can accomplish great things if we trust Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. William Carey said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. You know what? Peter had his flaws, but he attempted something great, and Jesus gave him the power to do so. D.L. Moody said, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. But then what happens? Verse 30. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Again, before we get too critical of Peter, how many times have we taken a step out of faith? But now Peter looks behind. There's the boat back there. There's Jesus still up there. But this storm is still blowing around. And how many times have you and I felt like we're trapped in the middle of nowhere and we take our eyes off of Christ and we say, whoa, wait a minute, this storm is way too much for me. And as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, what happened to Peter? Bloop, he starts sinking. Now you think as a fisherman, he would have learned how to swim. But Peter, I don't know if he knew how to swim or what. Yes, he did because we see him swimming another time. So it must have been quite a storm that was 
splashing over his head, right? It must have been quite a storm that, was, that he was fearful. And it says, he beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. His prayer was simple. He didn't get into one of those long, O oh, thou God that dwellest between the cherubim, here I am a helpless, hopeless man sinking in this ocean of despair. No, it's, Lord, help me, I'm sinking. <laughs> but aren't you glad his prayer was effective? I love the next words in verse 31, and immediately. Not sitting there saying, well, let me scold you first, Peter. Can't believe you took your eyes off me. That's what you get, buddy. Well, I knew it was going to happen. I told you so. Oh, what are some of the other things people like to say when you try taking a stand for Christ? Shouldn't have done it. See, I knew you'd get in trouble. I knew you didn't actually have the faith to do that. Can you imagine the guys in the boat? You know, some of them might even think it. See, there goes Peter. Well, wait a minute. Where were you, Matthew? You're sitting in the comfort of the boat. Why aren't you out on the water? But all those people on the sidelines who love to criticize as you're trying to serve Christ. Oh, see, you didn't do it right. I'm glad that's not the response of Jesus Christ, aren't you? Immediately, he rescues Peter. Immediately, he rescues Peter. Our God is good, is he not? He's our Abba, Father. Jesus is ready to save. It says he caught him. He seized him immediately out of the water. And then he says to him, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Now, I don't believe this was a harsh scolding. I don't believe that this was... Come on, Peter, what's wrong with you, man? You can't get anything right. I think Jesus understands the embarrassment Peter's feeling at this moment. But I can't help but wonder if Jesus isn't saying this more to the 11 in the boat than he is to Peter. Because where's their faith? They're back there, as I said, maybe at this point mocking Peter. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Why didn't you come out here? Unless we continue to Belittle Peter. It says, O thou little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? When they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. You know what that tells me? After Jesus rescued Peter, guess where Peter was again? He's walking on water again. He's walking on water. Now it says, when they came to the ship, then the wind ceased. Now Peter is still walking in the same storm that he was looking at a little bit ago, but the difference is, is now he's right next to Jesus Christ and they're walking hand in hand. You know, I don't know how long they spent out there walking around. They might have gone directly back to the ship or they might have just walked around and talked a while. The Bible doesn't say. But you know what the thing is? Is Peter was walking with Jesus Christ in the middle of the same storm that had him all scared a little bit ago, had him so nervous that he started sinking. Now he's walking on water with Jesus Christ again. Is your God big enough to do that for you? Well, preacher, you don't understand. Well, preacher, I just can't. Well, preacher, you know, blah, 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 blah. Whatever the excuses may be, let me tell you something, Christian. Put aside the excuses. Peter walked on water that day because he made a choice to get out of the boat. He made a choice to put his faith in Jesus Christ. He made a choice to... He was going to, by God's grace, defy the laws of nature and walk on water. There was going to be a miracle happening today because Peter was going to get out of the boat and walk on water to Jesus Christ. 
Now, I'm not saying you're going to literally walk on water, but let me tell you something. God wants to do miracles through you. He's just waiting for you to be obedient to him. He's just waiting for you to say, yes, Lord, you can use me. He's waiting for you to submit yourself. He's waiting for the humble servant that's going to give him the glory for what is done. Verse 32, when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. We see in another passage, another storm that they were in, when they had to wake Jesus up, and Jesus gets up on the bow of the ship, and he says, peace, be still. The idea being, shh, be quiet. Jesus yells at the, not yell, he, he reprimands the storm and tells it to be quiet. And then he turns to the disciples and says, where's your faith? And the storm listened to him. The storm just stopped raging. The rain stopped. The seas calmed down. The wind stopped blowing. And so it was this time, as soon as Jesus stepped on the boat and Peter stepped back in the boat, the wind stopped blowing. We read these accounts as though they are long ago and far away type fairy tales. But let me tell you something. This is accurate history that really happened in individuals' lives. And the same God who did these miracles then wants to do the same miracles in your life today. But we're too little faith to trust God. We are spoiled as Americans. You say, preacher... You're kind of scathing this morning. Folks, I love you dearly. I do. But we are falling asleep as a church. It's time to wake up. It's time to rise up. It's time to get up and go and take a stand for Jesus Christ. Church is not something we do. It's not a place we go. Church is who we are. And we are to be the salt and light in this earth. And we are to take the good message of Jesus Christ to those around us. And it's time we stop being discouraged. It's time we stop looking at everything and saying, oh, I guess might as well give up because it's just falling apart. No, it's time to say God can do great and mighty things and God, please work through us again. So yes, I am passionate this morning. Because you know why? Way too many times I find myself one of the 11 sitting in the boat instead of getting out and walking on water. Many times I find myself as one of those making the excuses why I can't, instead of saying, yes, Lord, I will. Many times I find myself one of those making the excuses. And if I find myself frustrated with the things that I see in my own life, then I can only imagine each of us find those same frustrations in our own lives. But let's be an encouragement to each other to say, we can, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Which brings us to the last point, the disciples' praise. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. They worshipped Jesus Christ and said, Of a truth, they recognized who he was. He is God. But can I also imagine, and this is not recorded in Scripture, but I can't see how this didn't happen. There had to be another conversation. Can you imagine as Peter is back on the boat, and they give him a towel to dry himself off, and Peter sitting there, maybe even feeling a bit like a failure, I took my eyes off of Jesus. I started to sink. And maybe comes over Matthew and Bartholomew and say, Peter, what was it like? What do you mean, what was it like? Peter, you were walking on water. What was that like? I can imagine sarcastic Peter. Well, you'll never know because he didn't get out of the boat. <laughs> I don't know what his response would have been, but I do know one thing. Matthew, John, James, Bartholomew, 
never knew what it was like to walk on water. You know why? They stayed in the comfort of the boat. And only one man will ever tell us what it was like to walk on water. And his name's Peter. Because he was the only one that had enough faith to make a choice that when Jesus said come, to get out of the boat and to go out and walk on water. Metaphorically then, Christian, are you ready to walk on water? Because the same God that Peter served is the same God you and I serve. You and I need to be willing to get out of our comfort. You and I need to be willing to do something that others might consider crazy. You and I need to be willing to face the storm head on and say, Lord, if you're leading, I'm following. Remember, the only way Peter was able to go out there was Jesus Christ was calling him there. And when God calls you to a task that may seem impossible, remember, we serve the God of the impossible. When God calls you to something that may seem crazy to everybody else, someday they'll be asking you, what was it like? What was it like? But you and I will never know unless we, like Peter, are willing to make a choice and take a stand alone. Are we willing to get out of the boat? Are we willing to follow Christ? Jesus had the priority of praying for his disciples. The disciples found themselves in peril as they entered the storm. But Jesus showed his presence. Peter showed his passion for Christ by saying, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto thee on the water. Jesus showed his power. The disciples praised Christ for the wonderful things he had done. Because ultimately, even Peter's walking on the water brought glory to God, not glory to Peter. Now, yes, I imagine they would have asked him, what was it like? You know, the truth is, Peter probably felt like a failure because while he was out there on the water, he took his eyes off of Christ even then. You see, the servant of God is going to remain humble. But are you and I willing to step out of the boat and to walk with him? If not, would you make that commitment today? If that's not been characteristic of your life, say, Lord, I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to follow you. There may be a storm in your life that you're facing. Say, Lord, by your grace, I'm going to face this without fear. I'm going to trust you. Is there some area of your life that you've not been obeying God, whether it be Bible study, whether it be prayer, whatever it may be, witnessing to others, that you've not been faithful? You say, God, by your grace, I'm going to obey and get out of the boat and follow him and allow him to do great things through you. Let's bow forward to prayer.